Okay, so today we're going to start looking at um, at the book of Zechariah. This is one of the most difficult books in the Old Testament uh, to understand for modern readers, uh, in my opinion. And the last three chapters are particularly hard for people to interpret. We're going to see that uh, the last prophecies of Zechariah are... Um, uh, under under quite a debate, we'll say, you know, among preachers and scholars and, and things like that. So we'll get to that in time and we'll talk about the various ways that people have interpreted that text. But for now, we need just to uh, get a little background on uh, Zechariah um, and the times in, in which he prophesied. After... After the reign of Solomon, David's son, the nation of Israel descended into idolatry and wickedness. Um, in fact, events, you know, in the in the in the nation spiraled so far out of control that the kingdom split into the north and the south. The northern kingdom, uh, which is often called Israel or Ephraim in Scripture, uh, they sped down the road of wickedness much quicker than the southern kingdom did. Uh, the southern kingdom is often called Judah. So uh, in Kings and Chronicles and in uh, many of the prophets, uh, there is often a distinction made between Israel and Judah. And when that distinction arises, you know that Israel or Ephraim is the, uh, the northern kingdom and Judah or Benjamin, as it's called, is the southern kingdom. So the kingdom of Judah, which consisted of just the two tribes of so Judah and Benjamin, were committed committed to the lineage of David in response to the promise of God you know to uh, to keep his descendants on the throne uh, and the northern kingdom which was the other 10 tribes uh, of uh, Israel uh, they were made up of um, of all those and the capital of the uh, the northern kingdom was Samaria. So when you read about Samaria in many of the prophets, uh, it's talking about the northern, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. And the leaders of the north, uh, you know, they quickly moved the center of worship from, you know, they couldn't get to Jerusalem anymore after the kingdom split, so they moved it to Samaria. They even built a temple there. Uh, and Jerusalem, of course, remained the capital uh, in the in the in the south in the kingdom of Judah, uh, so after much time passed, uh, and both kingdoms became more and more wicked, God sent pagan armies to destroy them both and take the people captive. First, uh, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. The Assyrian army came and it, it took all the Jews in the northern kingdom captive and it brought colonists in from, from all over the Syrian empire and the, these new occupants and uh, the, the remaining Jews that lived in, in the northern kingdom, they intermarried and had children and their descendants would be the people that would be known as the Samaritans by the Jews and that was a source of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans that the Samaritans were kind of half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half, you know, whatever else people brought in from the Assyrian Empire. Uh, when the Assyrians came and destroyed the northern kingdom, God miraculously protected Jerusalem and the, the southern kingdom from that same army. Uh, you can read about that in in, uh, in Kings and Chronicles where God sent an angel that slew 185,000 uh, soldiers in a single night, you know, to protect the Jerusalem and the city. Um, 
But, you know, many years later, even though Judah survived that, the southern kingdom, they started, they headed down the same road of idolatry and wickedness uh, that, that had characterized the north. And uh, Jeremiah was a, a prophet that was instrumental in warning the people of Judah to repent uh, before God brought you know this great judgment down upon them um, and by this time the Babylonian Empire had risen to power and conquered the Assyrians so the Assyrians weren't the threat anymore it was the Babylonians um, it wasn't long before Babylon came up against Judah and after a few failed attempts to, to make the city of a, a province of the Babylonian Empire Nebuchadnezzar you know after you know he had quite enough of the Jews insubordinate nation and their uh, you know they would come and they would they would uh, pledge loyalty to the Babylonians and then they'd go back on their word and there was dissension and rebellion and all these things going on so finally Nebuchadnezzar came in and he just destroyed the entire city down to its foundation he took all the Jews thought to be useful or of high standing back to Babylon as captives and he left only what you know he thought were undesirables there and destroyed the city after 70 years of captivity incidentally that uh, when Nebuchadnezzar took them that was where Daniel was taken and his three friends were taken Shadrach Meshach and Abednego uh, Ezekiel was taken uh, at different times at different times uh, they were taken uh, from the city but this is when all that's going on and after 70 years of captivity a new power arose in the world uh, King Cyrus was the ruler of the Persian Empire and they they rose to, to power by conquering Babylon and so just as God prophesied in Isaiah Cyrus uh, he was even prophesied by name in Isaiah in Isaiah he decreed that any Jews who wanted to return to Jerusalem were free to do so and by then many of the Jews had built lucrative lives they had you know they were they were they had uh, homes and businesses it weren't it wasn't that they were all slaves or whatever they had become part of Babylonian society they had uh, bought houses and you know they were just part of the society so many of the Jews they didn't want to return and they didn't return uh, <clears throat> but many did and they returned in three waves. The first group was uh, about 50,000 or so returned with uh, Zerubbabel was his name. He was the... the um I want to say king, but he wasn't really wasn't the king. He was more like the governor, the the military leader. And Joshua was the name of the high priest, uh, the the one they looked to as the high priest. There, so the first group came with Zerubbabel and Joshua. Then another group returned to the city with Ezra, which was the scribe. And then finally, another group returned with Nehemiah. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah chronicle the rebuilding efforts of the Jews that returned uh, to their city. It was during this time that the prophet Zechariah and Haggai were prophesying to the people. So our prophet Zechariah was prophesying during this time as everything was being rebuilt. God had commanded 
the rebuilding of his temple and work began as soon as the people arrived. But because of um, you know opposition and selfishness and just the sin of uh, of fallen man, the the work on God's temple quickly you know quickly came to a halt. And uh, the people began to build their own houses and to build their own lives. And it was Zechariah and Haggai, the prophet Haggai, that spurred the people to action in turning their hearts back to God and... uh, and turning their work back to God's purposes. Zechariah seems more focused, um, calling for the people's repentance and the renewal of their covenant with God. And Haggai seems to, in his in the work of Haggai, he, he chastises them for dragging their feet on God's temple and God's house. And so Zechariah's prophecies move uh, from the time of their rebuilding into the near future and then ultimately at the end to the far future. Um, so he predicts events uh, with, I mean, really stunning precision and clarity in the in the last three chapters, which embody the majority of where all this controversy comes from about Zechariah. Many see, you know, the literal battle of Armageddon and the foretelling of the end of the world. Others see the end of the Jewish nation as the Roman army destroys the cities, and after the ministry of, of Christ, uh, and there, there's there's interpretive challenges, but uh, with proper you know context, you know readers can clearly understand what God is speaking in these chapters, regardless if the time frame of the events is in dispute. Um, so, with all that background, let's start looking at the text of uh, of Zechariah. Uh, what we'll see is that everything Zechariah writes under the inspiration of God is it's applicable and it's relevant for us today. But the first seven chapters, the first seven chapters, the first seven verses of chapter one, they hold a special relevance for the for the twenty first century uh, church. Um, even a cursory look around around the world today reveals. I mean, it's just the dreadful state of affairs, you know, especially in the American church. Um, There's so many who have misunderstood the gospel or or simply denied the Bible's teachings about what God does in the hearts of believers. Um, Today, it's common for people to believe that, you know, as long as they've walked an aisle, repeated a prayer, joined joined a church, you know, they're fulfilling everything necessary to be called a Christian. And the reality is that true Christianity is a supernatural work of God within man's heart. It it results in a God-given desire to love and serve the God of the universe throughout, you know, through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's who, that's how how it comes. So, the the one thing I hear uh, the great preachers of God's Word doing today is the exact same thing that Zechariah was doing to God's people in his day. He was declaring to his people that just because they now occupy their homeland again, it does not mean they have returned to right relationship with their God. Zechariah wants the people to know that God says, you return to me 
and I indeed will return to you. The very first thing Zechariah shows us is the grace and mercy of God. Despite all that Israel has done and all they have been through, the Lord offers them forgiveness in the same way he offers you forgiveness. The cross of Christ stands as uh, yeah, it's a testimony of his justice, but it's also a testimony of his grace. As long as you draw breath, the Savior commands you to repent and believe the gospel. Verse 1 in Zechariah chapter 1 says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah with a message. And the message was for the people. Uh, there's no doubt that they knew the history that we've already talked about of their own people. The Jews were meticulous about passing down their history uh, to subsequent generations. God was angry with their fathers for their sin, and God brought horrific judgment down on them. Their city was destroyed. Their temple, the place where God determined to dwell among them, uh, was destroyed. And for 70 years, they lived in a foreign land. And for all intents and purposes, they may have thought that God had given them over to their enemies. Um, uh, I can't imagine what it must have been like to, uh, to be God's people with God's house in your midst and all of a sudden all that was gone. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied that they would return to the land and now that had come to pass. Cyrus had let them go. They were back in their land. They were rebuilding their city. Many had returned to their land and they came expecting God's kingdom in Jerusalem you know, to be reestablished. And uh, what a joyous occasion, boy, it must have been to walk back into their homeland ready to rebuild what had been destroyed. Uh, you know, I can imagine them having a new sense of purpose, a zeal for God uh, that had taken hold. Uh, they, uh, they immediately began rebuilding the temple. Uh, and they had high hopes of returning to their former state, you know, dwelling with their God. But, but over time, their their zeal and their fervor kind of waned. They had, they were losing interest in building God's temple. Instead, began concentrating on building their own houses and their own lives and working on their own stuff. They had, um, they'd also lost their spiritual fervor. They their zeal. Um, their excitement was dwindling as they, they realized how much work their task would involve. Uh, the kingdom they expected to be waiting on them would not come to fruition without many, many years of hard work. It was a laborious task to, um, to rebuild everything that had been destroyed. And once again, you know, they'd be able to worship in the temple. You know, that was God's dwelling place. But after time began passing, they, they became complacent and indifferent about God's service. And it's, it's very easy to do. And if, if you think you're above such things, you're either seriously deluded or, I mean, you're just lying to yourself. The Christian life is a fight. It's, it's work. The first thing you discover is that you have a brand new cadre of enemies when you become a Christian. The the world, the flesh, and the devil now are they're always going to be nipping at your heels, and and you know we, it can just get very tiresome. It can be, the the struggle 
can get very wearisome. The Jews were feeling the same way. They expected the glory of Jerusalem restored, but the progress was slow. It was slow going. So God gave Zechariah this message. Uh, I was angry at your fathers, he said, and I punished them severely. But you need to know something. If you will return to me, um, if you will turn your hearts back to love and serve me. If you renew your covenant with me and come back into the relationship that we once shared, I will set aside all that anger and I will return to you with all the love and the mercy that I have, all the covenant promises. What a message for those people who were becoming frustrated and weary. Today, he gives you the same invitation. Return to me and I'll return to you. The one, uh, the one thing of which you can be sure is that the Lord desires to be reconciled reconciled with you. Um, but returning to the Lord doesn't just mean turning over a new leaf. It doesn't mean that you uh, make up your mind that you're going to start doing better or start going to church more. Returning means repentance. The people must repent and return to the service of the Lord. Haggai admonishes them at this time, at the same time this is going on, to return to the building of God's temple. Uh, there are they are, con, you know, they continue to build uh, the temple because, you know, they want the covenant to be renewed, and for that, blood sacrifice is necessary. But that can only be done in the temple. Uh, for the seventy years that they were in Babylon, the practice of sacrifice had ceased, and now the covenant must be renewed. So the people must come in faith, offering the sacrifices that God requires. This is. Uh, sacrifices that look forward to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. The only way this could happen would be in a rebuilt temple. Uh, but for us, it means repenting and turning to the once-for-all sacrifice that covers all sin. The, the perfect fulfillment of those sacrifices was given in the body and the blood of Christ. So returning to God means returning to Him through the blood of Christ. Many times believers... You know, we want to fall back into thinking that our works are earning something before God. And, and whenever this happens, you can expect spiritually dry times are going to be coming. Uh, our own righteousness is nothing but filthy rags to God. Our works are never accepted. And when we realize that we are profiting nothing, uh, we often tend to get frustrated and tired. And, you know, just I'm ready to give up the whole endeavor. Uh, so what's the answer to this? What's the, the only thing we can do? Um, those who've truly been born again will always turn back to their only source, and that's the cross of Christ. Those who have not been born again will turn from it, and they will seek peace somewhere else. Uh, that's just the way it works. Uh, Zechariah is encouraging the people to turn back to God, to repent, and come back into right relationship with Him by faith. Uh, what a wonderful invitation that is. God is He's gently calling. He's calling people back to Himself. But there are also severe consequences for ignoring His words. He is not just the great granddaddy in the sky. Uh, the Lord offers mercy and forgiveness, but He's also just and righteous. And He is has surely brought judgment before, and He most certainly will bring it again in the face of uh, man's unfaithfulness. Verses 4 and 5 say, Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? 
Israel's fathers, you see, they ignored God's warnings. That was the whole deal with Jeremiah. Jeremiah told them over and over again. The prophets of old called them again and again to repent. God called them to turn from their evil ways, and he called them to turn back to him in faith and fellowship. They were continually wandering off into idolatry. Um, they would go after whatever God suited their fancy and whatever they thought could bring them happiness and prosperity. They never denied that Yahweh was the true God. Uh, but they added other gods to their worship. They went after prosperity and financial gain rather than helping the poor, protecting the weak, uh, serving the Lord. The rulers of Israel were concerned they were concerned only with their power and their status rather than shepherding God's people through the wickedness of the world. The prophets, they warned them over and over and over. God sent them one prophet after another, and all of them were either treated harshly or killed. Um, the Israelites, they just simply would not heed the warnings. They would not pay attention to them. They thought that because they were Jews, God was obligated to save them from the armies that were attacking. They thought that no matter what their state, God would rescue them. They, could, they couldn't conceive that God himself was bringing this calamity on them, that bringing these armies against them. But in, you know, in the end, they were too late. The city was taken. The prophets who had been giving them God's word had died. Uh, they didn't live forever. Their warning went unheeded, and judgment fell upon them, and it fell upon them hard. But even in the midst of this reminder of God's power and judgment, a ray of hope shines through in the grace and mercy of God. Even now, even after they have done all that they have done and been through all that they've been through, even after they've committed the worst acts of idolatry, the Lord will accept their repentance. He, If they will simply turn back to Him, He'll move heaven and earth in order to turn back to them. Verse 6 says, But my words and my statutes, which I have commanded my servants the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented. This is what the people did. The people repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. Those words were unheeded by earlier Israelites, and it cost them dearly. It cost them everything, and they knew that it had cost them everything. Uh, when Zechariah spoke these words, something wonderful happened. The people accepted that God had judged their wickedness, and they repented. They turned back to God in the midst of, of Zechariah and Haggai's preaching. They turned back and began rebuilding the temple. Haggai shows us this in his book. The people accepted that they had sinned and repented. And this is still what God requires of you. He requires repentance and a blood sacrifice. They repented and continued constructing the temple to return to those sacrifices. Today, the sacrifice is complete. It's once for all. And it's done in Jesus Christ. The, the first thing Jesus said when he burst onto the scene was, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is what we must do. Whether you have never been saved or whether you have simply hit a dry spiritual spell, the remedy is the same. Repent and believe the gospel. Today, you can do this for the first time. And for the rest of your days, you repent and you believe the gospel. And it's something that we do as a lifestyle. I spend the rest of my life repenting. I spend the rest of my life believing the gospel. And this is what it means to, uh, to turn to God. And when you turn to God, He says that He will turn to you.